Welcome back to Factory Sealed. It is September 20th, 2015. My name is Eric Peterson. Joining me today, Mr. Tom Reagan. Hey, guys. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off there. I usually go with Jess first, but... That's <laughs> fine. I was ready. Thought, I, <laughs> thought I'd give you top billing this week. Uh, also joined by Miss Jess Clarkson. Oh, hello. And we have a very special guest today. Uh, developer extraordinary Mr. Will O'Neill is joining us. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Yeah. Oh, man. It has been a week and a half. Tell you what. I've had almost... Just a <laughs> like week. Almost zero time. Just, just a week, but it feels like a week and a half. I think that chalks up to what time dilation. Sure. <laughs> yeah. We could get into that. Will, how are you, sir? I'm really good. How are you guys doing? This is uh, nice to be on. It's, uh, it's been time has been weird lately. It's been Destiny launch week for you know a lot of people, and I've been <sighs> playing a lot of things. And you guys, yeah. So. I know that we mainly talk about retro stuff. Yes. But Destiny, Dan yesterday, uh, no, yesterday or two days ago, told me he was bidding on Destiny on eBay for $8. And I said he'd be better off lighting that $8 on fire. Yeah, he probably would. (laughs) And he just could not understand my flaming hatred for Destiny in any capacity. And I spent 20 minutes just hammering out this novel of like just seething hatred for the game. And he goes, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't win it. And like 30 seconds later, he goes, oh, dear, I've won the bid. <laughs> I didn't really like it, and I don't. I still think I don't. I think just enough time has passed for a huge part of the player base to forget why they disliked it so much. But I feel it coming. Like as as I grind upwards and the curve levels out and it becomes more and more hellacious, I'm, it's starting to come back to me. You know what's what's so taxing and horrific about it. I fell solely into the hype train on that game and went, I could get behind this. I mean, these guys made Halo. How terrible could it be? And man, I had no idea just how bad that game could be. There was so much hype around it, though, like yeah. insane. Yeah, you got Peter hype. Dinklage. <laughs> It was big, and I mean, it was supposed to go really head-to-head with Titanfall, right? But Titanfall didn't have Peter Dinklage, and uh, and it also didn't have all the super hyper-addictive MMO mechanics and the gear grind, which, of course, is what's really the reason people are playing Destiny today and the fact that nobody is playing Titanfall. So, that's uh, frankly, that the bad part of that is that's probably only reinforced to all the AAA developers that you, you kind of have to trick people out of their money and their time these days with these Skinner boxes, but uh, unfortunately, that's the way it goes. Did they I, I, I am a critic and a victim of these things. There's just nothing else to say. <laughs> You're one of those people like, I know this sucks, but I just need to keep playing. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yes, I am. They got rid of Peter Dinklage, didn't they? Yeah, they had yeah. Nolan North come in and re-record everything. Even like all the old Peter Dinklage stuff. Just so that Talk he could like... Talk about a slap in the face. I don't think Peter Dinklage cares. Peter Dinklage is probably relieved to be unburdened of the embarrassment of that script. Yeah, I don't think... I'm hoping Nolan North can turn it around, but I don't think he'll be able to. That's a pretty shitty script. I don't think most people really playing Destiny care too much about the story. Like I can tell you for the expansion... In, in, you talked about time dilation when we were just getting going there. Time dilates with Destiny, and the actual expansion content felt like it was 20 minutes long because you spend so much time in the days that follow gear grinding and gear grinding. Like I feel, I, I feel like I, I barely remember the expansion content, and I played it like three days ago. 
Because you just get lost in that like seven, eight hour binge haze of uh, gear grinding. That's beautiful. So, which is why uh, retro grains are so much more wonderful. And the other big thing I've been playing lately with a retro feel is uh, Undertale. I don't know if Undertale. you guys check that out. Yeah, that's uh, fantastic. It's really quite good. What is Undertale? It's, uh, it's this sort of um, retro, uh, sort of Earthbound style inspired uh, new RPG, but it does a lot of really interesting uh, inversions of like sort of. Uh, old school JRPG conventions. There's a lot of meta humor in it. You've played games like Earthbound and older uh, RPGs like that. It's really quite well done. You guys should check that out if you if you So it's it's a new game done in retro style. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like retro style, 8-bit, 8-bit. So kind of like Call of Cthulhu. What's called Not Call of Cthulhu. Cthulhu saves the world. Have that I haven't played. Oh my god, you need to. That game's hilarious. Awesome. It's a it's a it's a old JRPG style game with with Cthulhu whoever that is or whatever whatever you want to classify him as and it's just got it pokes a lot of fun at the old JRPG tropes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sounds like a very similar. Yeah, so I I mean I like that kind of stuff. I grew up playing those kinds of games. I guess you guys probably did too. Uh yeah. So Tell us a little bit about yourself, Will. I mean, it, we, we've been talking to uh, people about the game that you made that we're we're playing this week. But who is who is Will O'Neill as a person? Well, I mean, the game is is very autobiographical. So, I mean, it, if you if you play it, you'll get a, a decent sense, I think, of of who I am. But I mean, um, you know, mid thirties, uh, white collar uh writer sort of creative director i work in like sort of big corporate events that's like my day job and i'm also sort of like a really long long time a video game fan player addict all all the good and all the bad um but beyond that i'm a fairly typical person which i think or i hope is why a lot of people have really kind of related to actual sunlight as much they have because I don't feel remarkable or exceptional in any way. Certainly, um, I don't come from a gaming industry background. Uh, Actual Sunlight was the first game I'd ever made, but um, you know I've been writing for a long, long, long time, um, both professionally and personally, doing stories and plays and uh, you know all, all that good stuff. So I'd say even though um, Actual Sunlight was kind of the first thing I did that anyone outside of like you know the 20 people I know would have ever read or seen. Um, there's probably a lot of things I've been writing over the years that are that are proto actual sunlight, and uh, I don't know. It just sort of all uh, congealed into sort of six months of pure raw frustration and, and retrospective that allowed me to sort of create the game. Like it took me about six months to make, but it really uh, covers experiences over you know 12 or 13 years of my life. That's uh, that's that's pretty impressive that a game like this came together in six months because this you know it seems like this is something very 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 personal that uh, not too many people would really want to put out there. Yeah, I mean, it, to be honest, it, it, the easy thing about um, nonfiction is that you don't have to make any of it up, right? And I think that's the thing people have been said to me, you know, oh, the game it really resonates as being very true to my experience, and like I really feel what the main characters go, and I think they sort of uh, attribute it to a skill as a writer that I may not have because I didn't, I didn't make a, it doesn't resonate so truly because I have this incredible skill for making up things that seems true. I didn't really make any of it up at all. It all, it's all real. It's all really comes and stems from my own experience. So. 
um, you know, I guess the craft element of it is putting it together in a way that kind of has a bit of a narrative arc to it. And I, maybe, yeah, that there's a bit of skill there. But beyond that, I think um, it's uh, it's just sort of something you do. As for not wanting to put it out there, I mean, I don't know. I don't really care. I mean, if you play the game, then you kind of get a sense of the fact that, you know, I've got some longtime friends, I guess. Um, I, have, I have a family. Um, but I don't really have that much on the line. Uh, like it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. And I, I think, you know, art needs to serve the truth. And I understood what I was getting into when I made the thing and, and the potential consequences that could arise. And I accepted them because writing something that was really good uh, was kind of, in a way, the only thing I ever wanted to do in my life. So when I realized as I sort of got towards the end of it, I was like, wow, this is really good. This is, it's at least better than anything I've ever done. Um, for me, the decision to to put it out there, even if it means saying all these things about yourself to everyone in the world, um, I just rolled with it. Well, I think before we move on any further with it, um, for those who don't actually understand what what actual sunlight is, and without getting into like some of the deeper meanings behind it, like in a nutshell, how do you explain to somebody um, what actual sunlight is? Because I stumbled upon this game about. I think it was like three and a half years ago. I don't remember how I stumbled upon it. Just some random website said, guys, you got to play this game. And I played through most of it back then um, when it was still a free download. And the the only way I could ever explain it to people is it is an experience game where you as the main character go through your mundane day-to-day life and try not to kill yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, you know, the tagline is a short interactive story about love, depression, and the corporation. Um but you know, obviously, yeah, the sort of uh, impetus you face in the game, the sort of uh, call to action, if you will, is that you know, sort of immediately upon beginning it, um, you're faced with kind of this this question of suicide and this contemplation that the character goes through, and it sort of starts out as just sort of a metaphor and kind of a funny monologue, and then you sort of go through the the first room and learn a little bit more about the the guy because it's really more of a character portrait than a really plot driven story. Um, but you know, but then as soon as you sort of start your day off. Um, you find out that you know the, the character is really seriously contemplating suicide, and um, from there it becomes um, even more of a character study of sort of what how depression affects him, how you know contemporary white collar employment affects him, how his failed relationships with people affects him. Um, so yeah, so it's it's a lot more nuanced than just this guy wants to kill himself, and you got to make sure that he you know he he doesn't do it in a sort of game like sense, but. Um, I think, yeah, it, you start out that way and then you find out, you learn a lot more about him. And the depression thing has obviously been something that the media is kind of focused on, but it, it, I think it has as much to do with just how much life is depressing as well as depression as a clinical condition. Um, so I really try to explore that uh, that sort of idea as well. I think that's I think what that's, you did so well, though, is um, create this environment that people can really feel like kind of that dead-endness, I think. Um, cause it, it's like, it's so terrifying that that is the reality for some individuals and kind of the feeling that you get. And, um, I was telling Eric that it hits so close to home cause we're both late twenties and I jumped from contract to contract in my work and it was just like so well done to capture the, I guess, comparison that you made with like, um, the character still had a roof over his head and he still had food and he still had all of these things. So it wasn't like he was in third world country or I think you had something about 
conversion or something. I'm not sure. I can't remember now. But it was just, yeah, painted the perfect picture of what, I guess, modern, not modern, but depression can be without being put in situations that are the true, like, life and death type of well even aside from the, the the depression aspect of it too because i think one of the most um powerful things you put in there right away at the beginning was you actually broke down that fourth wall and, and addressed the player directly and said if you think this uh, applies to you directly in so many words it doesn't and don't you dare even think about it and yeah. to me that was that was powerful too because a lot of people like to especially in the arts they like to look at things and go that connects with me, and I understand what that person was thinking. And I used to be an English teacher, and one of the biggest things that English teachers like to do is they like to tell the students what this book is about. Right. And so many times they're wrong. And people can look at this game and go, this game is about how crippling depression can be. And and hearing it from you saying, well, this really isn't necessarily about depression. It's about how much being an adult kind of fucking sucks. Yep, and. Yep. That's one of the things that I would actually like to to show people that are still young that play this game. If you're 13 or 14, look at this game, play it, experience it for what it is, and then realize I need to enjoy the shit out of my teenage years because adulthood is going to suck. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult. I mean, I think, too, if you're that young... The thing I'm also trying to communicate there is you don't even know what the circumstances of your life will be or what the what the world will be like by the time you know 17 years pass if you're 13 years now and um, it's just yeah I mean it's it's not just a way of getting people who are younger who are looking at it to sort of reconsider whether or not it's about them but it's also to refocus it and make it clear like this is about a specific. Um, experience it's this is about all of the very specific reasons that i'm talking about that made this person who they are it's not something to be like vaguely connected to um i want people to dig deeper and think about if it's you know if it's really more specific than that and if they and if they really 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 feel it um so yeah so that i guess that's sort of why i did it too i mean it's it's difficult to i guess some people feel alienated by that part of the game. Some people really like it. Some people think like, oh, well, you're saying I can't have problems. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is about a really specific guy and a really specific set of problems. And, um, and yeah, and that's, that's just sort of it. Yeah, I think it definitely um, kind of speaks to this Generation Y of like, people born in like, the 80s and stuff and not, um, not going through like a baby boom, like struggling with purpose. And I think we all go through... Yeah all go through times of like uh, struggling to find where we are and what we're going to do with our lives and stuff. And I've, I work in London and I'm not sure if I really want to carry on doing what I'm doing. Maybe I want to move around and, you know, without having children and stuff like that to think about it's, you kind of wonder where your place is. And I think playing actual sunlight, it kind of, um, though most people go through these kind of mild, mild depression states this kind of amplifies it and it's like look how much this sucks like this all this stuff rolled into one like neat short package mm-hmm. um it's it was yeah real. i mean it's, it, it was like you're saying as like jess was saying there you know this idea that like you're you're okay now we're all like in our 20s 30s but it's mm-hmm. that feeling of being okay right now but of sort of imminent doom and it's like mm-hmm. 
like yeah. or the things the world is not getting better and it's not going to like someday you'll as as insecure as you are right now someday you'll look back on this and realize this is like the best you ever were that and that's a terrifying <laughs> thought right yeah because <laughs> i feel like the baby boomer generation they grew up and um you know they were on a steady gradual incline o- over the course of their lives whereas us it's just sort of you're frozen still and um you're you're just hanging on just to hang on i mean it's uh yeah so that kind of insecurity is definitely a theme in the game and something i live and i go through as well i mean in actual sunlight that agency that it that it takes place in the workplace there that was all based on a real agency uh that i worked at and you know a few months after uh the game came out either art imitating life or whatever um that agency one day the owners came out and told us yeah we're like half a million dollars in debt uh everybody's going home today uh we advise you to steal whatever you isn't nailed down because the bank's going to take it anyways and that was it and then from there i went on to sort of freelance which is what i do now for all the agencies who used to be our competitors um but whereas at first i thought oh this is cool i'm in business for myself now i realize i'm actually not really in business i'm just a part of a precariat do you know what I mean? I'm just uh, mm, one yeah. thing to another, um, yeah. being like underpaid for this in- insecurity. So, uh, yeah. So everything's fine now, but what's going to happen later? And that agency, I think uh, you had the line was something like, "All we're doing is pushing money in circles and sending emails or something." Yeah. That like, it's just crazy how I guess. That is so true for a lot of jobs. And I know a lot of um, my friends and stuff struggle with that um, when you're looking at jobs and everyone kind of goes into the world bright eyed and wanting to change the world and make a difference. And it's a sad reality that that's not always the case. Nowhere do you see that more than in people who are just now between like 18 and 21. They come into this world with this doughy eyed look of like, I can make a difference. And yeah. I think the biggest lie that we tell people in in school is you can do whatever you want. Yep. You can't. You honestly can't. There's a handful of people who can actually make a difference. And no matter how strong your desire to make a world difference is, unless just everything perfectly lines up and you have all the perfect connections and you know just the right people and you have just the right amount of luck, you ain't going to do shit. And that's so that that that's what I really pulled out of this too is that no matter how much you want to make a difference, unless everything is perfectly aligned, you just really can't. I mean, not so much of everything in life is just pure luck. Yeah, I think you know when some when people are looking back on this really big picture, two hundred, three hundred years from now, however long, um, they'll realize that this entire era was just a weird transitional time to basically a post-labor economy. We mm-hmm. actually just don't need 8 billion, 8 billion people to work and to have some sort of life purpose and to go and do what they want or do some great big thing. So this is this weird middle age of humanity where we're still really glorifying things that we don't actually need to be doing and that not everyone can do. And so there's this sort of perpetual dissatisfaction at, at sort of a massive level. Because it's, yeah, we still really romanticize having work with purpose and, you know, doing what you want and having family and being in love. And this and it's like all these things are, are not really accessible to people the way that, that they were. And some might say that really it was only that way. It was only the baby boomer generation that barely ticked up above that line and that everything before them was just as bad. In fact, way worse uh, than it is now. 
Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think, yeah, I mean, we're getting really off topic here, but I think, yeah, basically, this is the beginning of kind of the end of work. Because we're certainly on the verge of automating tons of work that is dangerous and physical and administrative, and it's only going to go further more from there. Yeah, it's it's, it's like a... On the BBC recently, actually, they had, um, can your job be replaced by a robot? And you had to yeah. type in your, um, what you did for a living and it gave you a percentage. And, uh, mine was quite low, but my, uh, girlfriend's an accountant and she's 95% likely to be replaced by a machine. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, look uh, at all of the, uh, fast food workers striking for $15 an hour. <laughs> it's like yeah. McDonald's <laughs> is going to put out a kiosk where you just press pictures. It's like, Sorry, here's your replacement. You had something good for whatever you were getting paid, but now you have nothing. Quit pitching. And then there's us in the in the realm of digital content creation where like nothing is worth anything, where everything is just crashing through the floor. Someone at Steam is thinking of a way to turn Steam into Spotify, and it, you know it's terrifying. It's oh, yeah. it's just yeah. It's it's it has to end. That that's that feeling. I'm so glad that you guys grasped an actual sunlight. That feeling of it has to end. It, it's going there. It's headed there. Yeah. In a way, it's like a band aid. The slower it heads there, the sadder it is because the more delusional everyone can hold on and be for for longer. Well, there. I think there are two camps of people, and there are there are those that. I don't want to say that we all fall into that camp and we're the we're the poster children for it, but we recognize that and we accept it and we understand it. And then there are the other people who are just completely oblivious to it. They're like, whatever. And that's why things just keep moving that way because they don't understand where it's going. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... People are um, creatures of comfort. And I, I think anything that... Any call to people that says, well, you know what, the only way to change this is that if that we're going to change, and we're going to change our behavior, we're going to treat the environment better, we're going to pay more for this uh, to help artists, like all these things, these things will never succeed en masse. Everyone will always take, or the majority of people will take the easy way out or the cheapest way out. Like yeah. the only thing that's going to solve our problems, I really feel, are technological miracles. We're not going to stop burning down the rainforest. We'll just find some way to make a rainforest regrow from nothing. Like, there'll be huge... I feel like humanity will be saved, but it will be by huge, massive things, um, you know, technology shifts that uh, basically we can't even anticipate now. If it's, yeah, just reliant, if it's just reliant on us being better to each other, we're mm-hmm. fucked. But that's the thing with, like, fishing <laughs> and stuff. We've completely overfished areas. And, like, yeah. someone... I forget. I saw it on Reddit, but someone wrote an article about it and just saying, like, how screwed we are. Like, we are so incredibly screwed. And we don't do anything about it. And I think it's just the inherent nature of humans. It's yeah. kind of going to like the bystander effect type of thing. Like someone else will do it. Someone else will take care of it. I don't have to do it. Yeah, animals will sit in a cage and just do cocaine until they starve and die. You know what I mean? Like they will. They, people, I've read those studies. Yeah. That's the highly monkeys do cocaine study. I mean, I'm not being specific. You guys know what I mean? Like, people yeah. will put off solving their problems until the very end. You think no one will, t- you think rationally, no one will take it this far. But I think a weird paradox with humanity is like, we're smarter than we, than our behavior is. Do you know what I mean? We have insight into, like, why do we do that? But we do it. Yeah. 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 Look at college. Take college, for example. College is a perfect fishbowl of human nature. 
Sure. Oh, you've got this huge project due in six months. Don't start it till five and a half months from now. Uh, like yeah. A few days before. A lot of my students yeah. will be like, oh, yeah, I have a question about this assignment. I just started it and it's due tomorrow. It's great. <laughs> so we got, <laughs> you're right, Will, we got off on a real strange tangent there, but I think it's all pertinent to this game and that's the that's what we like to do with the games that we look at obviously that have a deeper meaning to them is actually dig into the actual meaning behind the game and it's it's great to have the actual developer of the game on there and say yes you're right or no you're wrong and to see that we were all approaching this with the same mindset or the correct mindset is it's it's good to see um the game itself i think you're you're kind of hard pressed to tell people this is a game but we're we're in this this period of gaming where this style of game actually is very widely accepted because it's an experience. It is a visual interactive story. And one of the first games that I played like this was um, To the Moon. I don't know if you've played that one. Absolutely. Yes, I have. Yeah. Phenomenal. And that's why I fell in love with this style of game. So when I started playing, it's like, this is exactly what I need because it's a, it's short. It's very short. It's, I mean, if you're, if you're a quick reader and you do everything, you can maybe an hour and 10 minutes Yep. Um, very quick. It's something you. I highly recommend sit down and do it in one sitting. Do not break it up because yeah. Tom and I were talking a little bit about this. It's just it starts off and it's like, man, this is this is depressing. But I can you know I can I can see where this is going, and then it just ramps up in intensity at the end. And if you break that, you lose that that exponential growth in intensity. Yeah, I really agree. I think the canon way to play it is is to break it up and, and not do save games. I mean, I think there was even, um, I put out kind of like a, a 3D version of the game, more sort of like an experimental test, and I took saving out of it completely because if I really had my druthers, yeah, it, it would be a one one and done sit down experience. Even, you know, having just released it for the Vita, um, you know, my real hope there is not that people will play it five minutes at a time on the subway. I like the fact that it's handheld because I like the idea of someone being able to take it to a quiet meditative place and go through the entire thing um, in one shot. Cause absolutely. See, and that's, yeah. that's what I played it on. I played it on the Vita and I actually went and sat in my bedroom and played it. Yeah. And I think it would have been a different experience had I played it on the couch out in the living room with all the noise going on. It probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have been as impactful. I knew it was going to be a, a heavy game because I'd played a chunk of it before and yeah. I wanted to have that environment like I just need to immerse myself in this. Yeah, yeah. but no the, the pacing's really intentional. And I mean and that's a good example I guess too of like how even though as non-fictional as it is, and hey, we can talk about all these things the game's about, um, you know, I'm still a writer, and I'm still trying to put that sort of, it's got kind of a three-act craft to it, and I sort of stick to the fundamentals. I mean, it's it's not really a game you're right now, you struggle to call it that. Um, to be honest, I think a lot of people who are game developers say like, oh, you made this game uh, with a lot of writing in it, but I almost see it from the, I see it from the other direction. I'm a writer first and foremost, so I look at Actual Sunlight as a piece of writing that is great enhanced by being a game rather than a game with a lot of writing um you know i think it's something that if it had been a book of monologues you know just one after the other um might have been okay uh it might have made an okay film uh, or you know a little short short film um but i think it's at its absolute best as a game and when i people ask like why would you make this game that's what i say because as good as it could have been um in any other medium i think with with gate with it being a game and with the pacing that i was able to put into it being a game 
and obviously, you know, stuff with uh, removing agency from the player's time goes on. Like all those things that only a game can do. And as well, let's be let's be honest. I mean, uh, you know, game addiction and a, be the protagonist being a person who who plays games uh, connects it with that audience as well. It was just sort of the right choice and the right direction to go. So but, there was. Oh, go ahead, Jess. I was just going to say it's kind of going into more of that art form um, because. I've played a lot of like twine games and stuff like that, which are uh-huh. um, just text games. And um, there's this like huge, really cool indie game, I think, movement in Toronto. Because um, I know, I'm pretty sure you know uh, Jenny and Henry from DMG. Yep. Yeah. So I um, went to a few of those game jams and stuff. And it's just incredible to see um, a lot of the artistry come through and trying to elicit these emotions and put the individual like immerse them within the game and I think that was done really well and I guess it like it kind of makes me a little sad when people kind of disregard those games for not being game enough because I think that's very limiting to the industry I guess I, I mean, I tend to perceive people um, who have that opinion as being people who honestly probably don't read. I think what they're, they're that I think that's their real beef. They they just don't want to do a lot of reading. They mm-hmm. sort of inherently see the medium as something where reading should be uh, kept to a minimum. Like when I I could be wrong, but I you know I think of people who are really vehemently against that as being people who skip every cutscene. Do you know what I mean? These. are the people who are now way ahead of me in Destiny, because at least I listen to Nolan North. You know, it's that, that sort of thing. And yeah, and you're right. In Toronto, we have like an incredibly vibrant scene. Like quietly, almost all these people that you think of who make a lot of these narrative games are, are Toronto people. Like Ken Yao made To the Moon. Um, he's from Toronto. I, I know that guy. I see that guy at events. Um, the person who inspired me most on the uni side was Christine Love because her game Digital Love Story and Analog, she was the one whose games really convinced me, no, you can you can have a game that's like 95% text and narrative and still have people really, really connect with it uh, on a deep level. I and, won uh, those games at a draw, actually, at a DMG event, which is yeah. Yeah, well, no, I mean, if if there was no Christine Love, there would be no actual sunlight. That's uh, safe to say, because digital especially just, like, blew me away with how good it was mm-hmm. and how it, you know, it kind of tackled themes, too, of, like, early online culture and um, that, 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 that early email feeling. Because I remember, like, the BBS scene back in the day. I think it really kindled that sense of... Um, nostalgia in me that I think led to a lot of the motivation to write stuff in actual sunlight. So yeah, I love her and uh, I love a lot of people who are making twine games in Toronto. And actually uh, I'm running a a festival this year in November called Wordplay and we're doing that um, at the Toronto Reference Library on November 7th and we're going to be having games from like twine games and other narrative focus games from all over the world. Um, So so that's cool. So we got a really, really good scene here. Yeah. So I have a question, like specifically about the the game itself and something that existed within. Uh, you mentioned a little bit ago that the game is very text heavy. It's it's exclusively text, but you walk up and you can interact with almost anything, and anything that you interact with or can interact with brings up just a black screen with white text, and it just you're forced to read it. And yeah. one of the most compelling pieces was the doctor patient transcript, and. Yeah. When it first begins, you're sitting there going, okay, well, he's just recalling his time in therapy or his time with a with a doctor. And right. by the end, you come to realize he's making all this shit up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Spoilers. What, 
what drove that? <laughs> what I mean, I think, you know, initially I kind of understood that it was a conversation with a therapist. At first, I didn't realize what the twist was going to be, that it was going to be that the, the therapist was a person that he was making up. I think initially my thought was it would be sort of realistic because that, and that was kind of a way to invert that kind of trope that you see in a lot of games. Uh, already, right? I mean, that's part of the reason you expect that psychologist to be real, because you've seen that in Silent Hill. You've seen that in, you know, X other games. Um, so, so it was a good turn. Um, I mean, it, it is autobiographical to a certain extent. Um, you know, there really was a therapist that I saw one time that kind of was like, you know, um, it's not that he told me to go away when I had some real problems exactly, but it was sort of like that. I think what he had said to me was like, listen, my job is to help people, um, you know, uncover insights about themselves and why they do the things that they do and, and what's really holding them back. He's like, you you don't lack any insight whatsoever. <laughs> He's like, you have a, a comprehensive, almost obsessive understanding of what's going on in your life. So you just need to sort of act upon it. Um, and I guess I found that discouraging or, or didn't maybe not want to go to it anymore. And then I, you know, from there on, I think, um, I started to think about, well, what if this was just sort of him talking to himself and what possibilities would that open up? And from there, I think that's when I started writing a lot of the stuff, um, you know, where he pretends to be talking to a late night television host, um, mm. and pretends to be, you know, a professor at university. So yeah, that was, that was a pivotal thing when I realized that, 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 um, that psychotherapist or psychologist was was not real. It was just a part of his fantasy life, and, and it's, I, it is a thing. Yeah, I really like that too because um, from that almost depression side, it really illustrates the fact that a lot of individuals, maybe not too depressed, but individuals with de- depression, they often struggle with seeking out help because they have that mind that. Um, nothing's going to help. They're not going to be able to help me. I'm not going to benefit from this. Nothing's going to change. And kind of that all or nothing thinking. Um, so I really liked how that you thought he was getting help and you thought he was actually actively doing something about his condition, but it all turned out to be his own thoughts. Yeah. I mean, it's part of it is, is that depression thing. I think you're right. That, that kind of polarized black and white thinking is a part of it but i think it's also again it just goes back to being about real life and how the extent to which um you know we all just kind of it's easier to just live in your fantasies to a certain extent and that's got a lot to do with video games but it's also just got a lot to do with media where you know you're you are focused to sort of like we were saying earlier go for your dreams but if all you're gonna do is go for your dreams you're gonna spend a lot of time dreaming and you're going to be mm-hmm. focused on all this stuff that's not necessarily real. Just you're going to focus on this life that you wish you had to the point where that life that you wish you had can become more real to you than the one that you actually have. Um, and I think a lot of people do that. I think a lot of people relate to that, even people who don't necessarily struggle with uh, depression. It's just a way to, um, in the immediate term, sort of cope with your own feelings of, of doom and negativity about your own life. But the problem is in the long run, um, I guess it becomes really quite harmful because you actually don't do anything about it. Yeah. Well, why does anybody play games or read books or watch movies? It's just an escape. Yeah. It, it's the, you know, you have the capability to grow in fiction in a way mm-hmm. that you might not in real life. You play a game, you play destiny and you gear up. If you know, you put time and effort in and you get something out of that, but you put time and effort into something in real life, it, it might work out, it might not. Mm-hmm. 
Sorry. That's, okay. No, that's that's fine. I was just thinking where we can where we can go from here. I don't want to ruin the end of the game. Uh, we generally don't care too much about spoilers in this no, because no. I mean, most the of the games. Honestly, it's been out for like, uh, geez, since early 2013. Now I think most people know yeah. a lot of bit about it, so it's all right. right. I was going to ask, like, obviously, uh, we said that it's mostly text heavy the game, but um, at any point during your development phase, did you consider any uh, extra gameplay elements that you may have originally had and then stripped back because you felt they didn't fit or work or um, anything like that? No, I think I wanted to keep it relatively uh, text-focused. I mean, I think that there's certain things that I did, you know, that would enter the consideration of a game maker. I mean, I think the way that the text builds where you have to sort of prompt it at every piece of punctuation was very sort of intentionally done, and I wanted that to be in a, a game, game-ish kind of way. I, I imagine someone sitting there pushing a button because I felt like the text building in that way um, gave it the feeling of being a thought that is building, the, the, yeah. that feeling of it actually being an internal monologue in a way that I don't think I would have achieved if it had just sort of been on the screen. Um, so again, that, that, there's that mechanical empathy to it too, right? Even if it had been like a film and I had built the text that way, like it pauses for a, a second after every comma, um, that wouldn't be the same as having to actually push a button to make it advance. And the same with just playing the character and walking around in the world. Like, you know, let's say, um, to go back to Twine, could actual sunlight have been a Twine game? Yeah, absolutely. Just like all text on the screen and you click on hyperlinks around the room. I could describe, you know, the bedroom, say, you know, and here's the the dresser. But I feel like actually walking up to it and hitting a button, um, there's a certain mechanical empathy that makes you connect with it in a way that you wouldn't otherwise if you just clicked on the word dresser. It it has that feeling of the way you look around a room and you see an object from your past and you see it. And but when you focus on it, it makes you think of the memories that you associate with it in, in a really real and raw and visceral way. And I think, you know, off the top two, I sort of set that up when he's first talking to the therapist. He's saying, you know, you know, why does thinking about suicide, like, how does that make you feel? And he's, you know, does it make you sad, angry? And he says, um, you know, he says, no, it makes me feel kind of, you know, nostalgic, it makes you feel reminiscent. And, uh, you know, that, that sort of yeah. sets up how you interact with objects for the rest of the game as well. So gameplay elements, not precisely, but did I give a lot of thought to how controls in the game work and how, how you control the character and how you control that, that pure text experience? Absolutely, in a way that I think a, a game designer would think about it as well. I'm actually really glad like... you took that route because going back to To the Moon, the yeah. thing that, that pulled me out of that game were those puzzles. Because mm. it just it didn't yes. fit the style of the game. It's like this would have been awesome because the story is super engaging. You just want to find out what's happening next, and then it's like mm-hmm. I have this. And they weren't difficult, but it just it pulled you out of it for just that brief few minutes. You're like, ah, another one of these. Yep. Yeah, that, I um, recently played a game called In Between, which is about a guy uh, who's suffering from lung cancer, and he has to go through the emotions like uh, acceptance and fear and all these uh, different emotions that come with having such a devastating illness. Um, But every single level is uh, a puzzle and they get obviously progressively more and more difficult. And in the end, I was just like, these are, these puzzles are great, but I'm definitely more of a narrative story driven kind of person when I'm playing these games. And it did actually mean that I just folded and, and left it. 
um, which was a real shame because it was really well narrated and nice voice acting and stuff. But I think those I people really, try to yeah. make that game and say, oh, well, this doesn't fit the traditional mold, so I need to try to pull some traditional game elements into it, yeah. when by doing that it actually hinders their game. Yeah, yeah. it was, was not necessary. It just made the whole experience disjointed, like puzzle marked with the serious undertones of life. And I felt like with actual sunlight, because it carries you through, like you say, with the tactile input of being able to... Um, action through the sentences and stuff it, it that was much more fitting for me um i and i really enjoyed that kind of stream of consciousness because that that those are the that's the kind of fiction i read anyway so it, i was really drawn to that um, i i would submit that you guys are absolutely right that it, people are you're making games are scared that if it doesn't have a, a game a strong gameplay element to it that it won't draw a certain audience i i'm a little less scared of that i tend to feel like those people that you think you're gonna draw you really you won't draw anyways like you might as well do what you really want to do and, and focus on the audience uh, that you really want to focus on um but i but i could be wrong i mean i think with to the moon to be honest i think the real strength of that game is the music i mean the music is what's just like i mean it's all good but the music is what makes it soaring like it's just incredibly incredibly well done mm. um so you know without that i think that's it's it's most vital element but yeah the gameplay stuff it takes me a bit of it too and same in a bird story which is his recently released game like really good um but again the sort of puzzle stuff yeah I, you don't know why it's in there because yeah. I think there's a difference between making a game to sell and making a game to tell a story, and that could be where that. Yeah, and it's weird the sort of infatuation that, like, even you see in AAA where they'll get on stage at E3 and they'll be like, "We have this mature, great storyline." Like the marketing people, they love to sell story. They just it seems like they don't actually love to do it in the end. And I think <laughs> selling really good for promoting game but the truth is almost nobody plays games all the way to the end and uh, all the best content is front loaded like there's all these reasons if you want to be cynical about why story and being playing very little part in like a really big commercial game but there, there are exceptions too i mean her story is probably the big narrative success story of this year yeah. and that had that was so clever right Did you guys play her story Oh my god! Because yeah. it has like just enough interactivity oh, yes. to feel like a game. It's a completely narrative-driven experience. I mean, that is that is a hole in one. Like Sam Barlow, that is how you just truly play to all sides. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I... and and do something that's narrative-driven while also having just enough of a game-like experience to really satisfy people and draw them in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I would like to check out her story. It does look really interesting. Um, Exceptional. It's really I, well done. Yeah, and I, I did check out a game called Missing, an interactive thriller, which brings back, it's like a throwback to the FMVs from the 90s. Yeah. And uh, that, that's, it's, it's like funny how that's working now. It, it's, uh, it might be time for a resurgence of FMV because it, it, seems to be, it seems to be working if you've got the production value uh, to tell a story in that way. Well, all you but, do um, is get decent actors. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you exactly. guys remember like the old school One X CD ROM? Yeah, uh, I mean, it, the performances were terrible. I mean, well, I think look at just what they putting, did with they're putting programmers in like bathrobes and just saying, "Okay, you're a wizard." Like, <laughs> awful, 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 awful. Look at Wing Commander for PlayStation One. They had Mark Hamill in there. That game was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, Wing Commander Three, Heart of the Tiger, oh. and then he would. Oh man, really good. Oh yeah, but money was spent. I remember when that game came out, and it came on like seven discs. Like yeah. it was the box weighed twenty pounds. Like it was crazy. <laughs> I had really that for PS One, and I actually still have discs two, three, and four, but I can't play because I don't have disc one. 
man. Uh, and the big old PlayStation 1 box that was way too tall for any respectable shelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it. Uh, I was going to ask that um, when you were writing and developing this game, like, what was the, were there any obstacles that you had to overcome? Like, what was the biggest challenge? Was it just writing it itself or any technical challenges? Maybe, I th- I'd say maybe what to take out. Because in the end, like I, I, I believe in that that sort of Kurt Vonnegut maxim, you know, start as close to the end as possible. Uh, everything you do should build character or advance the story. And there was a lot of stuff in there, like you, you kill your babies when you do anything creative. But it was like these decisions to like take out stuff that was really about my life. Like there was a lot of there was stuff in there that de- detailed kind of the relationship between Evan and Jackie, um, but taking it out you realize it's stronger it's stronger to imply some things than it is to explain them and yeah. it's also stronger to keep that experience short um i i knew that actual sunlight was definitely something that had the potential to overstay its welcome and you know it's self-indulgent by definition mm-hmm. it's autobiographical so you don't want to take people on too much of a too long of a trip or too long of a journey, or I think the whole thing just starts to fall apart. And uh, you definitely want to sustain interest up at the end. So yeah, well, definitely think... the biggest challenge was just like, what do I, what can I take out um, that, that doesn't hurt it? Mm-hmm. I think had sure. this game gone on any longer, it, it it ended right when it needed to. It probably yeah. would have started to hit that like, okay, when's this going to end? Yeah, because it's it's so heavy, it's so emotional. You cannot sustain that level of emotional interest for much longer than an hour to an hour and fifteen minutes. So you hit you yeah. hit it perfectly with how long it should be. I mean, and it starts out pretty intense too, right? It, it's not much of a crescendo. You're right; it's pretty harsh all the way through. The most you could say, I, you know, I think I try to do consciously was keep it a little bit humorous early on, like darkly humorous, yeah. but still funny. And then as the game goes on, that that diminishes and diminishes, and and then eventually it's not funny at all. It yeah. does feel like one one huge act. Um, if I could put any split any marker on the that possibly split it, it was when. Um, yeah, uh, I felt like the tone changed quite drastically when Evan gets back from work and just like starts flipping out and like just smashing stuff. Like that's when it kind of feels like it takes a takes a turn for the worst. Yeah, the red screen. Yeah, yeah when yeah. the screen goes red and like everything's just a bit just wild and surreal. Yeah, I mean that that's a big that's a big visceral turn. I mean, I think for me, I feel like personally the turn is sort of when he kind of goes home at night because I think one of the things I try to do really consciously in the game is show like how outwardly normal he appears to be. Like he's at work. He talks to people. He's Mm -hmm. a regular person. If anything, he's in conversations with people and they're the ones who are flipping out. Um, And it's um, give a sense to him at home when he's by himself and his own internal thoughts and how he is out in the world. And it's like, you know, it's it's almost like a bit of a horror element to it that, you know, by night yeah. he's like this, this different person who who truly whose alienation and isolation truly sinks into him. Yeah. Well there's that there's that, that phrase or that understanding that, you know, don't judge people based on what you see because you never really understand the struggle that or the battles that they're personally fighting because people can be outwardly different and then completely different at home in their own time. I really have no idea who anyone is. Incredibly well done with uh, the chick he was sleeping with. I forget her name. The one who was also sick. Yeah. Jackie. Yeah, that, like, oh, 
bawled my eyes out at that part when she was saying that she's feeling better but not great and there's the thought that said that she's too sick to be fine but not sick enough to like, like not not work yeah she like yeah. Had that line where she's still mm. got to be in the world but not be any good at it yeah and it's great because i have a chronic illness and i know a lot of my friends with illness as well like going to that invisible component like it is such a fine line and it's so challenging to kind of tiptoe that where you're not fine enough to live a normal life but you're too okay to be like on disability or anything like that and uh that was to me like super powerful yeah i mean i think in the contradiction i was trying to sort of point out there too it's the sad thing is that's kind of that's what brings them together because you know yeah. they relate to each other but it's also what drives them apart because you know um in, in evan's mind i don't think in hers but in his it's like you know we we can't be together we're both fucked up like you know we, yeah. what does that future really look like and you know i'm he's more interested in who he wants to be than in who he really is mm-hmm. and um or or you know it's and it's it's i try to explain it in a way that makes it seem clear that like um it's not that he's selfish exactly. It's just that he's terrified of it. Like he doesn't want to be super miserable later, and he thinks anything he can he does later. Anyways, it's all. I mean, it's again, it's all um, autobiographical. So it's all it's all based on a, a relationship that I was really in or not in, I guess, so to speak. But um, yeah, similar kind of mm-hmm. thing to that. So yeah, no. So thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a lot of people ask about that. Everyone's really focused on like the autobiographical part but it's definitely you know i say it's about love depression and the corporation and it really is about love and the corporation as much yeah. as that thing in the middle mm-hmm. yeah. is there anything that you would change about it at all or are you happy with the how it turned out the complete work of fiction you wouldn't want to change it i'm pretty happy with it like i mean i think it's definitely i think it's it's again it's the best thing that i've ever done only i'm like the most talented writer in the world i just kind of you know, drew on some real stories in my life and, and worked hard on it. But no, I mean, I think I took out just what I needed to get. Like, I think it, it's in a position when I put it out, I was like, you know what? It's, um, we, you know what, you know that something you've done is good when it begins to feel fragile. Like if you, yeah. if you dare touch it anymore, you can make it worse than better. Do you know what I mean? And when sure. you get to that point where you feel like the risk of screwing it up is higher than the potential upside of making it better. I think that's when, you know, you're really close. And when you should probably just let something be. So how did you decide what to put this out on? Because initially you just put it out for people to play in its original form and it was it was free. Um, yeah. Then you came two or three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, it, it dropped on Steam and Vita of all consoles. So, it, it, I mean, so it, initially when I put it out, again, I didn't know anything about indie games or... or um, people who sold them or, or did anything like that. Um, I just, I just put it out and I said, I'll contact some media and I'll, you know, hopefully get a review or two. Maybe a couple of people will play it, but I had never done anything as a writer that had been successful. Like, you know, I'd, I'd written some short stories that kind of were in little journals, had like a piece in McSweeney's once, but I was like used to just sort of nobody caring about this stuff. And, um, so nobody did for like I guess the first month. It was like January of 2013. I, I put it out and anyone could just download it. And like the website was like super intimidating and dark. Um, and so I think that it was it was like discouraging. Um, and then I guess about a month after that, 
I like I'd send it to a lot of people, and then Kotaku picked it up, and um, then like like in the space of like twenty minutes, I think I don't know, like thirty thousand people downloaded it. Like, <laughs> it you know, it, it's it was really huge. Like having sold games and also given them away, I can tell you that the price. I feel like 95% of people want to pay is nothing. Oh, like yeah. if you put something out for free and it's it's good, oh my god, the internet will explode. It's the money that, that is the holdback. So, um, you know, I, a lot of people download it, but I really wanted to to sell it. Like I felt like, you know, I put a lot of work into this. My plan was to eventually turn it around and sell it for a couple bucks. I did like an Indiegogo thing cuz in Canada, we weren't allowed to do Kickstarter in early 2013. Yeah. Oh, so many years ago. So I raised like 2500 bucks. And I found a, an artist I really like to do that full screen artwork. And uh, Alina Sechkin did the pixel artwork, like of all the characters. And she's an artist here in Toronto, so she's really cool. And a guy named Robin Ogden do the music. And I was just like, look, guys, I, I raised a couple grand. I just whacked it up between everybody, and everyone just got to work. And then I sold it for like five bucks on Humble. Because at this point, I had started to hang out at Bento Miso, or yeah. DMG. So I started to know some people. And I said, can anyone get me kind of hooked up with anybody on the selling side? So I was on Humble. And then I went on Greenlight. And this is not now. Like, now you go on Greenlight and your game blasts through in three days. I was on Greenlight for, like, a year. Oof. Crawling, crawling, crawling. Uh-huh. And then when it finally got through, then the game came out on Steam in, like, April 2014. And then I think so. It did okay there. And then September, I went to a conference in Gamer Camp called Gamer Camp in Toronto, and that's where I met uh, a guy from Sony, Nick Sutner. And I said, "Hey, well, I guess here's the thing. He gave like a presentation on indies who want to put their game on their platform. So the Xbox people, but a lot of people go to these guys and be like, well, this is this cool game I want to do. Everything blows up, and you shoot it, guys. Like that's the usual pitch they get. <laughs> yeah. When I go up to this guy, and I'm like, listen." I have a game uh, that is not going to be a big success, but it's already finished, and you don't have to do anything. Uh, that's a much. That's a pretty compelling pitch. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I basically said, yeah, I, for Vita, like I love the Vita personally, and I really don't think it's a good game for TV. Um, so the Vita was the only thing I ever wanted to put it on. Uh, Did you ever contemplate something like the 3DS? Uh, to me, like Nintendo, I, I don't feel like they would go for it as much as Nintendo, I think is trying to reach a little more into the mature territory. Now uh, it just feels weird to me, man. Maybe it's the way I grew up, but I think Nintendo stuff is like, it really is for kids. Well, they, don't they have, uh, <laughs> like, I, don't know, the, I don't know how I feel about actual. I think the binding of Isaac is actually on there too. Hello. Is it really? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but Nintendo, like I, I don't know. <laughs> um, you made this on was it RPG Maker that you use? Yeah, the initial version, well, the one that's still on Steam, that's the RPG Maker version. And um, so what I've been like a big thing I've been doing over the past two years too is like learning a lot more about Unity and how I can do things in there. So yeah. I actually sort of recreated an RPG Maker ish environment in Unity with the help of this uh, other sort of Unity extension called Adventure Creator, which is really fantastic. And the developer put some stuff into there just for me and what I was trying to do. So he's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, so now, yeah, so that's that's what I'm going to be using going forward. Like, Unity is really great. Um, like everybody else, I'm using Unity because there's, there's so much you can do with it. But yeah, no, my RPG Maker days are probably done uh, because RPG Maker is as cool as it is. It's, it's pretty rigid, especially... Yeah. 
in terms of cross-platform support, I mean, it basically doesn't exist. You can you can put wrappers around it. Like if you've ever heard of a game called Always Sometimes Monsters by a studio called Vagabond Dog, um, they did their stuff in RPG Maker, and now they've released it on like mobile platforms uh, by using kind of a, a wrapper situation. But um, uh, oh. I just I'll just rebuild in Unity. Just do everything in Unity. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. everyone was threatening a few months ago to jump over to Unreal. I'm like, nobody's going to do that. Yeah, no. Unity, Unity, Unity. Yeah, the asset store on Unity is fantastic. I guess. Yeah. Uh, if if you're more of a a writer and stuff, you've got access to models and stuff like that. So you can really, I've I've seen people like build games uh, just solo, like with no with no help because they've just had help from communities online, and the the community for Unity is so strong. That's really us, good. the people ruining video game development, <laughs> building it know nothing. Although it's, I mean, it is interesting. But you think about it, this is something that is okay. It's led to a lot of crap, but it's also opened up, up people who come from entirely different artistic disciplines, allow them to come in and actually make a game. Yeah. Like I can actually by myself just bring my writing to bear in that format. Someone who is uh, just a visual artist can do something on their own just using a tool like Playmaker. Yeah, you know, it just goes with like through flowchart. Like it's really good. Playmaker's amazing. Um, so yeah, so it's sort of you know yeah, there's going to be a lot of crap, but you're also going to have people now who are able to make games who may have never had that level of access before. Yeah, definitely. Yes, and that's really cool. That that opens up because honestly, as as uh, you know, a million people have said this better than me. Uh, the actual culture of studio based um, commercial game development is incredibly uh, rigid demographically and otherwise. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a form it's a it's an art form that could do with a little opening up. Hmm. That was um, fantastic. Off topic a little bit. Yeah. The friggin' Toronto Easter eggs were hilarious. Like yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah. Did you play on PC or Vita? Um, I played PC. Yeah. So a lot of unfortunately a lot of the stuff is out in the Vita version. That's one like little difference. Because, oh. like doing oh. brand names and stuff like that there's a it's a oh, little yeah for sony it's a little bit like don't so yeah you won't find any of that stuff you won't find any shoppers drug mart or swiss chalet uh Is that rogers like, reference yeah the rogers reference yeah like yeah, yeah. made my life that was so funny yeah oh you know i mean to get back to an earlier question if there's was there anything i wish i could do i wish i could have made it more toronto like i wish there was more toronto-ish sort of stuff i could have done <laughs> that that would have been great <laughs> because the whole game you know the game reflects my feeling about the city yeah. too i was born and raised here and i feel like over the course of my life like i've liked it less and less even though it feels more and more like home and it's it's honestly it's like a metaphor for the whole thing where you become more and more comfortable with something you like less and less yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good are, are you and- from toronto like your whole life too are you uh I grew up in Ajax, um, and I live in Stouffville, so just GTA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Any uh, any final thoughts we want to share on actual sunlight? I think we I think we dove pretty deep into it. I laughed. I cried. Sure. Good. <laughs> if you haven't played it, you should. That's that's the big takeaway. Absolutely. Uh, it, yeah, uh, definitely. It was worth it. Dan Curtis, who is not with us today, I think, uh, I think should still take the time to play it. Yes. Hopefully he did. Um, anybody you play anything else this week? I know it's been a busy week for everyone. Pokemon Snap. Oh shit! Is that uh, oh, the original, what? like the N sixty four one, or is there yeah. a new one? 
Is that the game that uh, Matt Buell sent you? Yes. Nice. Yes, yes, yes. Isn't like, that just a a game on rails where you take pictures of Pokemon? It's like Pokemon voyeurism. <laughs> it's, it's really like, good, though. Yeah, it's not just that. That's what Andrew said when I was playing it. He's like, really? This is it? But, like, there's so many different things that you have to do and, like, going back to levels once you get more tools and... But the core mechanics remain. Your subjects are passive. Like, Snorlax wakes up, you know? Yeah. Oh, oh dear. (laughs) He wakes up. Yeah. So you can get a picture of him sleeping and awake. Yeah, Yeah. but the sleeping picture is worth, like, nothing. Like, your pictures are rated based on, um, like, if the Pokemon's in the middle of the frame, the pose that they're doing, the action that they're doing, and then you build up points that way. So that's where all of the teenagers think or got that idea that if they have a, a DSLR, they're a photographer. Basically, yeah. oh. selfie culture, one hundred percent to blame on Pokemon Snap. <laughs> oh shit! First. That game never. I mean, I'm not a Pokemon fan in the least bit. I've never completed a single one. The most I played was Pokemon Yellow for this show two years ago. Hated it. So oh, yeah. I don't. <laughs> I don't know what the draw for this would be. Because I remember when the PS3 came out, or before it came out, they were advertising a game called Africa. And the only concept of it was you're this safari guy out in the middle of the the African wilderness taking pictures of zebras and hippos and giraffes. And I don't even know if that game ever actually came out. And if it did, it probably tanked. I've never heard of it. I'm going to look it up right now. I think they spelled it with a K. Yeah. Because that's how Africa should be spelled, right? Yeah. With a K? Yeah, I think like Brazil is with no, an S. And... Oh no, yeah, no, maybe it's, it's a, a C. Hmm. I don't know if that game ever. Oh yeah, here it is. Hot garbage. But yeah, I don't. I don't know <laughs> huh. the. I don't really um, necessarily I've know the draw for Pokemon called... Snap. What time? Oh, I see. I was going to say I recently played a game called um, Police Noughts. I played that this week. Don't know if you've heard of that. Where do you come no. up with these games? Yeah, I've not heard of that. <laughs> Least yeah, it's like because um, somebody, some awesome devoted people, created a fan translation into English. Um, this looks it's like a, that it's Strider a game. Novel. Yeah, it's a Kojima game. Um, for, it came out for the Saturn and I think for the PS One as well. I'm playing it. For, yeah, I'm playing it. Did on, you finish yeah. that? What was that other one we were playing? Strider. Snatcher. Snatcher. Did you finish that one? I did, yeah. I thought it was brilliant. This looks like it's got really Meryl cool. in it from MGS. Yeah, it's all these throwbacks. Like they're all linked in some way, but um, it's really good. It's it's point and click. Just click on objects in the room to, uh, and some text, and and then move move the story forward that way. But it's uh, yeah, it's pure pure narrative, visual novel style. It's really good if you can grab hold of a copy. Uh, like you have to. You have to download it, unfortunately, um, because it's otherwise it's Japanese. If you manage to find a copy anywhere, um, interesting. Cool. And yeah, speaking of Metal Gear, Tom, you uh, you finally started to dig into that a little bit, haven't you? I have, yeah, but it's so overwhelming. <laughs> um, I, I don't deal very well with like open world games. I find them just so involved that I. I can only, I can't play them for an hour here and there. I have to play them for more than that, and finding that time is difficult. But I, I was talking to, to you know, go ahead. I was just going to say I have managed to make some sort of dent, and I am starting to enjoy it a bit more and starting to figure out the mechanics of it. But uh, 
Um, probably not as far as anybody I know. Well, I just talked to Dan this week, and he rolled the credits on it. And then I was playing it last night, and I knew I wasn't even remotely close to the end, and the credits rolled. Like, not just the the, the post-mission credits. Full game, 15 minutes worth of credits rolled. I'm like, what the fuck? Really? Just, like, what? And then oh. I watched through to the end of it, and I'm sending Dan a message. Like, what the fuck? This is the dumbest ending ever. And then it, it pops in, and it kicks into Chapter 2. But as the, the the longer this game goes on, the less I like it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, if anyone but that guy had made that game, it would have been edited down in ways I can't even imagine. <laughs> oh yeah, like, who could get away with a prologue that's ha- an hour and a half that involves fifteen minutes of doing nothing, twenty yeah. minutes of crawling on the floor? Like <laughs> we, so but, I conceded a certain level of self indulgence before, but this is just on another level. Like it. <laughs> I think it sucks to be powerful, to be honest. And you're surrounded by people who just won't tell you what you're doing is bad. Um, God, yeah, no, Metal Gear Solid Five is my first Steam refund ever because oh, I just, because I just right. feel it. I just feel it coming. You like, and I had that, that conversation about that earlier. Like, I am not surprised at all to hear that there's a part of the game where the credits roll for 15 minutes and then the game keeps going. And it's because I knew things like that would continue to happen that I was like, I'm just not going to do this. I'm just not well, going to do it. What's even worse is the first chapter of the game, all the missions are, I don't want to say they're awesome, but they're, they're, they're pretty cool. But the second chapter is nothing but taking those initial missions and redoing them, but making them harder. So the one of the first oh. missions in Chapter 2 is a subsistence mission where they drop you in and you have to destroy some communications towers. But you don't have any of your weapons and then the guards spot you immediately. Or there's missions where if you get sighted at all, it's mission over. So Jesus. they just rehash the entire first half of the game but make it harder. Oh, wow. I'm so happy I gave it back. Because th- yeah. that's the other thing that happened. This is going to sound petty, but like I did the first mission. I like, got oh, through the prologue, whatever, I'm in Afghanistan, whatever. And like I hid behind a rock and a guy saw me, and I'm like, no, he didn't see me. And I fucking unsolved <laughs> I just know. For me, every mission just turns into a Call of Duty game. Oh, yeah. It, it, you know, I'm, I'm straight in first person. I'm gunning everyone down. And I, I'm, I'm like guilty because I'm aware that a Metal Gear game shouldn't be played this way. But the game allows me to, and I'm, I'm just torn with this one. I, I love Metal Gear, so I'm an absolutely big fan of the series. But And I knew what I was getting into buying this huge open world experience, but I'm, I'm not... It's not totally my game, if I'm honest. But no, um, it's not. I enjoy the yeah. the freedom within. I don't see this as a Metal yeah. Gear game, mainly because it doesn't have the depth of story that I've come to enjoy with all of the previous yeah. games. They changed the main character's voice. He doesn't say shit. Suddenly, you I mean the first two <laughs> games? Well, that bo- Big Boss was in. So Metal Gear Three and Peace Walker. The dude talks all the time. You can't get him to <laughs> fucking shut up. And now he says like seven <laughs> words the entire game. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it's fun no, for sure. what it is. Will I ever play through it again? Absolutely not. No. I've it's... heard some things about Quiet though. What about Quiet? Like that her I feel boobs like are awesome. It's just the like laziest thing in the entire world. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> like, the the, gonna... <laughs> the first time you see her, she's in a cage down below, and it's really cool when they go into talk about her character and why she is the way she is. She's like a plant. She doesn't breathe. She absorbs energy. She doesn't eat. She absorbs everything through her skin. She breathes through her skin. So that's their justification for, 
justification for why she doesn't have clothes on. But when they go to talk about how she drinks, she gets up and she walks over to the shower and does this really seductive, sexy shower thing. And then they say, oh, and she drinks through her skin, too. Like, oh my god <laughs> yeah there's there's that shower scene where like and not only is she is it her in the shower dancing but there's like other dudes standing outside the cage watching her and yeah. it's like how much do you think you're gonna get away with here like ugh. i feel like that's just so patronizing like oh we want to like appeal to our audience so we're just gonna put this like half naked chick doing seductive things because that's the only thing that you guys care about are well, I could understand I could understand the justification that they made like she's a phenomenal sniper. She doesn't need to breathe, so she absorbs everything she needs through her skin. She can sit for days and hours on end. I understand that I get it. It's awesome character development, but yep. they do pander to the horny 13-year-old. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quite happily. But when you guys, when you think about being 13, like I I guess maybe just graphics room, but <laughs> I have no memory of like ever seeking pornography in video you games. You cannot <laughs> Tell me with a dead straight face that you did not find Lara Croft's pointy tits unattractive. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. I guess maybe it's just a different generation. And that rumor that if you beat the game in just the right way, you could see her naked in the shower at the end of the game. Right, right. Like in second grade when some guy told me that if I got to like level 800 in Duck Hunt, like tigers started jumping out. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I miss being and I And I fell for that. So never again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's it's good though. I don't. We've spent a lot of time on Metal Gear Five as it is. It's good, but I I Isn't very it like Japan is just trolling us, and they're just they just you know he just did that to make like a thousand podcasts cry out in anguish. <laughs> Who cares? I mean, this yeah, dude is just, just be fucking with us. Like, yeah, I don't know. This dude is just skating on diamond skates to the bank. He doesn't give a shit. He could have put out a hot turd, and it still would have sold millions. Yeah, and that's it for Konami, right? Like, they're all done. Like, they're shutting up shop, man. The next Silent Hill game is a slot machine. Like, don't even... (laughs) (laughs) No, it's really... No, no, come on, guys. I'm serious about Silent Hill, man. Like, I'm one of those people who's, like, shattered. Silent Hill 2 was one of my favorite survival horror games of all time. That is correct. Yes, it is. And then it just went downhill. 3 was okay... Four, I still have sealed. I never bothered to open it. And then Konami sent me a copy of Downpour, and I went, well, this is crap. Downpour is not very good. Yeah, four is worth playing. Four is canon, and that's kind of where canon ends. And then it picks back up with Shattered Memories. You guys saw the best, the best Wii game is definitely Silent uh, Hill Shattered Memories. If you guys never played that, that's phenomenal. Don't and that go- was written by Sam Barlow, who wrote her, who wrote her story. Don't they have uh, a PSP version of Shattered Memories? Yes. Do they? Yeah. If so, get that. Pick that shit up because it's great. I wonder if that would be compatible with the Vita. Mm, Good question. Not everything is. We need to do a Silent Hill show. Yeah, you should. Now that Halloween's coming up. Oh, so terrifying. We should do Silent Hill 2 at some point. I love that game. Pyramid Head is one of the (laughs) best villains of all gaming. my uh, history of Silent Hill 2 is I got as far as just getting into the house, and then there was just no music, nothing. I had to turn it off. It is the absolute <laughs> most terrifying game in the world, and it, it doesn't so terrifying. Yeah. It doesn't rely on jump scares, and that's what's awesome. Resident Evil was terrifying because it was kind of the first game to delve into the jump scare territory yeah, and actually look decent, but Silent Hill, it's just that atmospheric terror. The, the very first game I, I remember playing, um, I bought it when it first came out, 
and sitting there with my stepbrother in the middle of the night, and we're walking through this school where it's kind of misty, and then shit starts happening, and the world just erodes into this dungeon-like atmosphere, and just being terrified of that. And like, yeah. I need to keep playing this. It's <sighs> not shock, it's dread. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, so good. I don't want to go forward, but I know that I have to, and it's just confronting <laughs> that fear. And you know nothing's going to jump out, but what whatever you come across is going to be just utterly terrifying. It's... It's like the the only other game I've been playing this week is The Last of Us because I shamefully haven't played it. You're a sinner. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, I don't know, maybe halfway through. But yeah, it's those moments when you're in a house and you have to creep up the stairs with a flashlight and a yeah. handgun and you, and you know there's something up there and it does so well of building tension in that game and it's obviously it's flawless in so many so many ways. You like will like Silent Hill 2 then. You will absolutely love it. There, there's a part in there where you go downstairs and it's really dark, and you turn your flashlight on, and you can either go forward into what looks like a scary hallway, or you can turn left. And as soon as you turn left, you see, I think it cuts to a cutscene at that point, but you see all of these these nurses these just standing there in this zombie-like state, and you just instantly freeze. You're like, if I move, I'm fucking dead. And you just have to weave <laughs> through that. It's just so awesome. It's so Whenever well done. Whenever there is a flashlight in a game, like I immediately become terrified of every single little noise ever like all the time i can't remember if silent hill 2 had the radio for the enemies will do you remember if it did oh yeah 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 it's got the radio i loved radio that and the that flashlight was, that was so it was such an awesome concept and then if you want to play through it and even be more terrified turn the radio off yeah because <laughs> then you don't know when the enemies are coming nice yeah we're nice. gonna we're gonna do a silent hill show coming up soon uh, I was going to ask, Will, do you have any other stuff in the works? Yeah, I mean, um, a game that I wrote, uh, the script for, just came out called Plan of the Eyes. Check that out on Steam. Uh, that was made by a studio called Coco Cucumber here in Toronto. Uh, they're really great folks, and it's it's just sort of a it's a sci-fi robot story, um, so I kind of try my hand at that. But I think it's uh, it's got a, a little bit of my kind of style in it, but it's a bit different as well. Um, I'm also helping to write Sometimes Always Monsters, which is the sequel to Always Sometimes Monsters uh, by Vagabond Dog <laughs> uh, here in Toronto as well. And personally, uh, my next game is called Little Red Lie, and it is basically about it's another sort of generational story i think you guys will really dig it it's kind of about people our age and i guess the millennials a little bit uh, younger than us as well and kind of uh the illusion that we all subside on of our of the baby boomers and our parents money and it's kind of about that money running out and nobody having work and kind of <laughs> crash into horrible economic circumstances um, contrasted against another character you play uh, who's a person who's super rich and doesn't give a shit about anything so it's an interesting contrast I check that out at littleredlie.com and there's been a little some previews on like kill screen and Kotaku as well <laughs> I'm looking at it right now and the one thing on the bottom left I love lie about driving drunk directly into the strip club <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So there's two characters you play. One is this just like complete horrible person, and the other one. The, the fundamental mechanic of the game is it's like Monkey Island style, but instead of like push, pull, get, pick up, there's only one verb, and it's lie. And all you do is lie. But the the two characters draw out the contrast because as the guy lying to you means you know intimidating people, bullshitting them, um, make basically getting out of your evil acts through dishonesty. Whereas for uh, the other character, 
um, lying because she doesn't have any money and she takes care of her parents and they're elderly and their money already out. For her, lying is more about managing people and their expectations, um, uh, being dishonest in circumstances where you don't want to be but you have to be, and just sort of it's about that sort of moral relativism and, and that contrast. Um, so it's, again, a very story-driven game. And it's going to be very text-heavy, um, but I'm going to explore the extent to which dishonesty defines nearly everything about how all of us live all of our lives all of the time when is this going to be coming out you think uh i was gonna put out a demo around nash and but now i feel like we're kind of in the fourth quarter of triple a death and there's there's no hope it's it's really tough out there i could go on about this for another hour and a half but um it'll it'll come out in 2016 i'm just not sure uh exactly how or how early cool cool. um well, we actually do have some emails this week. If you want to send us an email, factorysealed at manatank.com, we have a question or an email from Philip Hallwood. It says, Dear friends, what is your favorite roguelike game? I highly recommend playing the free game Tales of Majeal. If you guys are interested, you can find it here. Uh, FYI, it's made by one of the guy, but it's made by one guy and it's fantastic and difficult. Keep up the great work, Philip. Roguelikes. Hmm. I feel like roguelikes were a kind of a flash in the pan. Yeah, like a lot of people mm-hmm. lied about playing Dwarf Fortress and how much they loved it, and then it just kind of ended. Yes, and then Rogue Legacy came out. And everyone's like, "Oh my god, this is awesome!" And fair enough, Rogue Legacy was awesome, but yeah, um, I think that would be my favorite one. Uh, if I had to choose an older one, I'd probably say something along the lines of Azure Dreams from the PS One. Kind yeah, of, yeah, I would, yeah. That's what I go with Azure that, Dreams. That's the only one I played. I think that one was super frustrating in its time because it was so unique. In that, okay, I spent all this time fighting these enemies and getting these weapons and getting these skills, and uh, I died. Got to start all over. Yeah, it's just too hardcore for me. There was a <laughs> there was one on PS2 called Baroque, like the the art style, and I never got a chance uh-huh. to play that one. But after playing Rogue Legacy and developing appreciation for it. I think I'd like to actually go back and play some of these older ones and see how how heavily the old ones inspired the new ones. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm not sure. What about you, Jess? I don't think I've played any. That could be, like, categorized. It's a very small niche uh, category. Do you have a favorite one, Will? Uh, I'll say Risk of Rain. Really like Risk of Rain. Does that count? Like how roguelike are are you? Is a roguelike only if you're allowed to start again with absolutely nothing? I think that's what qualifies a true roguelike. Shit, I don't know then. Fuck that. that. (laughs) (laughs) Not my not my cup of tea. I I don't have no time for that. That sounds like that's something for that's a young man's game. I need to do it. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, Let's see. Sean McIntosh. Uh, writes in, he says, I just recently came across your podcast and it's quickly becoming my favorite one to listen to. I was getting tired of my usual list of podcasts as I spend a lot of my day driving, so I decided to search for something new. After finding a couple retro gaming podcasts and having them be complete duds, I came across Factory Sealed. Started off with the Final Fantasy VI episode and it hooked me right away. Listened to about a dozen cents and my favorite by far have been the Final Fantasy VIII episodes. I remember playing through them as a kid but never finishing it. So it was a lot of fun reliving that game vicariously through you guys. It inspired me to play through older uh, RPG that I never finished and have been enjoying, which is my Final Fantasy IX playthrough. Really liked the way you broke down 8 disc by disc, and it's something I'd love to see you guys do again. As for games I'd enjoy hearing you guys play through, I'd like to suggest Final Fantasy IX, 
Castlevania Symphony of the Night, uh, in Nindo, Way of the Ninja? Oh, I know that game. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one. We did find we did Castlevania Symphony of the Night. That's the one we had Oliver on. Yeah. Um, He says in closing, and this one this one strikes home with me. He says, "I'd just like to say one thing to Eric in regards to the Final Fantasy VIII episodes. Long live the notes. I caught so much shit for taking (laughs) notes playing through that game. (laughs) You needed to. That was good. You drove it forward. I did." I'm trying to use this old Koei game. It's really good. Sorry. No, go, go ahead. In Nindo, I've never even heard of that one. I got to look that one up. He plays like this exiled ninja in Japan, and it starts out as very RPG like, but then over time, you like oh, begin shit. to amass an army and you have to attack the capital. It's good, man. This is for Super Nintendo? Yeah, it's an old SNES, yeah. Oh, man. I think we may have a suggestion. How long is it? Oh, man. A, a while. Oh, so it's an <laughs> RPG. <laughs> It's a, it's a, yeah, it's an RPG. You're gonna have to grind. Ooh. You know, actually, you probably there's got to be a way to cheat in this day and age. Oh, totally. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, if you want to send us an email, factorysealed at manatank dot com. Uh, what are we gonna play for next week, guys? Um, I've had a suggestion. Okay. If you that say a Nindo, <laughs> I'm gonna hurt no. you. <laughs> Ocarina of Time. You really want to tackle Ocarina of Time in a week? Well, no, like it can be a back burner one. So we could start it. Yes. It gives me a reason and to play through the 3DS one again. Um, Podcast Racers. What is it called? No. Star Wars, the Podcast Racer. Pod Racer. Thank you. Podcast I don't. <laughs> I know. That, like, that's not the thing. Why am I saying it again? Podcast Racers. <laughs> nice. I like Pod Racer. That game is awesome. I will totally play Star Wars Pod Racer next week. Yeah. Which okay. are you talking about the N sixty four one or the PS two one? N sixty four. Oh, okay. I can get behind that big time. I'm renaming it. Podcast. I'm gonna Racer. put a label over it. Podcast. <laughs> Jeez. Um, we also had a suggestion. I don't know if you guys saw the chat, but uh, there's a long and storied history behind Ben Schrader. And he actually, Jess, you probably know that name. Yes. He was supposed to have been one of the founding members of this show three and a half years ago now. And, and just on a wild world adventure. Never, ever, ever showed up for a single show. And he finally showed up in the chat today. And uh, he started sending me some <laughs> text messages. So he actually recommended we play Demon's Crest for Super Nintendo. He's like, I just got Demon's Crest, and it is kicking my ass. So I think we need to have a difficult game. So I say we do some Demon's Crest and some Pod Racer. Sold. And we purposely did not put out the random game generator this week because we knew Will was going to be on, and we're still going to be playing some Poppin' Tanks for next week. But look tomorrow on our Facebook page uh, for the random game generator where you give us a console a letter and a number and then next week we will pop those into the random game generator and kick out a game for us to play and possibly hate for the following week (laughs) any final thoughts before we shut it down for the week uh no just thanks for coming along will it's great to hear hey thanks for having me guys actualsunlight.com absolutely and let us uh let us know when (laughs) when um little red lie hits and uh we'll have you on for that one again Excellent. I'd love to. Well, where can we find you on Twitter? At Will O'Neill. 
That's uh, two L's and Will, two L's and O'Neill. Making it hard. Jeez. How about you, Jess? Where can we find you? Uh, I am a Jess. Tom? At Hyperjetty. You can find me at Honest Pizza. That's going to do it for this week. Once again, Will, thanks for having uh, taking the time to come on. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We'll see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>